title of the message that we've been doing is out of the book of Galatians. It's called Justified. Um, the, 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 it's a legal term which has to do with the pronouncement of being acquitted. Uh, the, the Reformation period, which we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of since a German monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed 95 theses or basically written arguments about the corruption in the Roman Catholic Church at the time. I do, I do believe that Luther was not trying to start his own church. His heart was for reforming uh, the Holy Roman Catholic Church. We are thrilled to be able to have um, Katie sit with us, but if she gets disruptive, they, you can see the service on the TV out there in the, the, the fellowship hall, okay? Because we don't want to hinder anybody else from being able to worship in the hearing of the word of the Lord. All right, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, the title of the message today is called The Covenant and Your Rightful Place. Say that with me if you would. The Covenant and Your Rightful Place. The, the message text that we've been looking at from Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11 uh, is on your screen. And I want, if you would, if you'll find one, wait until I tell you we're going to read this really last portion that's so potent together, Okay. Let's read together. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, the, the, uh, the way that you've heard this all of your lives is the, the King James Version, found in the book of Habakkuk, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews chapter 10. It says, the just shall live by what? Say that with me. The just shall live by faith. So that's the last line right there found in the, you see, NLT. That's the New Living Translation. We're not afraid to read the word in a translation that at least uses language that we're familiar with. I, I grew up on King James. I love the King James. I can really quote. It's not a, I'm not bragging to say probably two-thirds of it, uh, having memorized it from a very young age. But um, so many times... Years ago, I found myself spending too much time in a message trying to explain words that we don't use anymore because it's Elizabethan English, okay? It's uh, Shakespearean in its sound. It's beautiful. The prose is lovely. But frankly, when you read 1 Corinthians 16 and it says, quit ye like men, most men go, scratch their heads and go, what does quit ye like men mean? Well, then I have to stop and say, okay, it means get up and act like a man, okay? So we use a translation that, that actually says it that way so we don't have to take time. So the NLT is the New Living Translation, and it's through faith that a righteous person has life. It's the same thing as the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm using a message text. That we, what we just read is the series text. We read it every week because over nine weeks, I want you to get this down in your heart and your spirit. Say it again. The just shall live by faith. Okay. The text today is from Galatians 4 because we're six messages into this series. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 28, read it out loud with me, please. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. Now, if you're just sort of jumping in, if you're, you've just uh, stepped out of the car and you put your foot into the stream, this stream has been flowing for five weeks now, and I, I can't go back and review. I will connect for a moment to last week's message out of the first part of Galatians 4, where basically Paul says, you know what, you can be an heir of a rich person's family 
And because you are young and immature, you have no more authority or power to exercise your privileges than the slave does or the servant in the house. And so Paul was talking about the believers growing up into a place of maturity. So this morning we pick up with that and now you recognize that God has brought you into his family and made you an heir and we're distinguishing between the, the, the two covenants, the old covenant that basically has an overarching concept of law and a new covenant now that has an overarching concept of grace or the promise that they look forward to in the old, the promise of grace, the promise of a savior, the promise of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Joshua the Messiah, our savior. Now we're not talking about Old Testament Joshua, his name means the same thing Jesus means, uh, the, save, the salvation of God. We have a one thing every week that we, we say through the message numerous times so that when you leave, if you don't remember anything else, you get this. You get this down in your heart. The one thing that, we, that I want to drive home to you this week is this concept. Covenant position is determined by the new creation, which is being in Christ. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, says the King James. A newer translation says, the old has gone, the new has come. And so it's basically a fresh start. As a matter of fact, the message says it this way. Those who are in Christ get a fresh start. Everybody say fresh start. So it, as a new creation, you are, uh, you, you are in the lineage. You have the same DNA in you that Jesus has. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Notice I said born again. Everybody in the room who's alive and breathing was born naturally. Jesus said in John 3, that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, you must be born again, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, except you be born of the water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I'm not talking about your natural DNA or your genealogy or me and 23 or ancestry.com where you can spit into a tube and you can send it away and find out that you have, uh, you're from West Africa and Ghana or you're from the Scottish Highlands or Ireland or wherever you are from around the world. Okay, we're not talking about your natural birth. We're talking about your spiritual rebirth. Everybody say, born again. Okay, so we're talking about the birth of our promise. So covenant position is determined by the new creation being in Christ. Natural birth is based on law. Spiritual rebirth is based on what? A promise. Now that I've explained that, let's get it and read it together. Here we go. Covenant position is determined by the new creation being in Christ. Natural birth is based on law. Spiritual rebirth is based on a promise. Now, last week we talked for a moment about uh, that week and the week before. We, 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 we talked about Christ, the seed of Abraham. The week before that, Christ, our champion, how the cross has changed everything. We realized that Abraham is the father of our faith. Abraham, whose name means the father of many nations, was an elderly gentleman who God sought after and found him and made him a promise. Even at the time when his name was not Abraham, it was Abram, which means exalted father, and he still didn't have any children, no babies in the house. 
and Abraham began to trust God. And the Bible says he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness means right standing. A lot of these Bible words you don't use at the office, you don't use in the marketplace uh, during the week. They are, they are associated with church, and so we want to try to take the, ch- the churchianity or the Christianese out of it and make it as explainable and bring as much clarity as we possibly can. So, Because I believe when you understand it, life change comes. Because my message is not about inspiring you as much as it is the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you. We, we don't ask you to come and be conformed to any kind of standard we set but we ask you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that's to get in the Word of God. Somebody say amen. All right, so this morning, we know who, who our daddy is. Look at your neighbor and say, who's your daddy? All right, well, we know that our spiritual forebear is Abraham, the father of faith. Actually, ultimately, it's God the Father, okay, who has birthed us. John 1.13 says that we were born not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of blood, the Bible says, but of the will of the Father. It's talking about our spiritual rebirth, okay? Uh, and so the question is not just who's your daddy, but in this message today I want to ask, who's your mama? Everybody like your name and say, who's your mama? Now we're saying it in the complete Delta, Arkansan kind of way, who's, who's your mama? And, and this is what Paul is asking in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at about 10 or 11 verses of Scripture here in this message this morning. Before we do, uh, I want to get the text and I want to grab some historical facts. So this first point today is basically just laying the groundwork of, of this section of Scripture that Paul the Apostle is writing to a collection of churches in modern day Turkey. The Bible referred to it as Asia Minor. It was a section of Asia Minor called Galatia. Okay, So there are numerous churches in the Galatian. This cyclical letter is being passed around among all these believers Judaizers have come in and tried to tell them, hey, it's great, follow Jesus, but add to that keeping the law. You can have a deeper walk with Christ, keep following, don't abandon Christ, but add to that so you can have a deeper walk by keeping the law as well. And by the way, all you gentlemen who've come in as Gentiles, you're going to have to go get circumcised. And so Paul is coming up speaking boldly, confronting the lie and the deception of that, saying, no, absolutely not. It is by faith alone. This is what Martin Luther was wrestling with. It was not about circumcision in his generation 500 years ago, but it was about all the tradition of the church that had been laid on the backs as a burden on the people and telling them that all this tradition of the mother church is that you have to work. It's faith plus works. And so the the, the ringing cry of this amazing historical period was justification by faith alone. It's faith in Christ alone. It's based in grace alone, in the Word of God alone. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, the Word of God alone. It has nothing to do with man whatsoever. It's all about the power of God. Somebody say amen. Okay, so the historical facts are found in these scriptures, Galatians chapter 4, three verses, 21, 22, 23. If you would find a screen, just read along with me. You don't have to read out loud. I'll read it for us. Here we go. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? It says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. 
the son of the slave wife, was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Now think about that. God's made a promise to Abraham, and it hasn't happened yet. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh, a little more in just a moment. But they try to bring about God's promise in their own strength, in their own way. Everybody say, through the flesh. Okay? The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. That's all three verses that I want you to get. Now, let's go back. You find the story of the patriarch Abraham between Genesis chapter 12 and about 24, 25, I think, 26 of Genesis, about 12 or 14 chapters uh, in the Bible. Um, God called Abraham when he was living in Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham was not a Jew. There was not even anything known as a Jew in those days. As a matter of fact, he was a modern-day Iraqi, if you would geographically pinpoint where he was living. He's living in Iraq. Uh, it's a Chaldean kind of religious system where they're worshiping the, the, the astrology or the, basically the stars of the heavens. He's a moon worshiper. He's, he's paying attention to the alignment of the stars and the planets and all of this stuff in whatever limited way that they knew of at the time. And so in the middle of that, God taps Abraham on the shoulder. His name is Abram. His wife Sarah uh, are childless. Abraham is 75 years old and he meets God and he's called by God to get up and leave his country, his kindred, his household, and he's called to go to Canaan. The Bible says to a place that he knew not where he was going, but the Bible says by faith he got up and went and obeyed. Uh, now, I, I don't understand. I, when, I, when I get in my vehicle, I usually have the destination already plugged into my GPS. I know where I'm headed. I don't just drive aimlessly. I know some people vacation like that. They'll leave with a pocket full of cash and just go drive somewhere, and then when it's halfway gone, they'll start making their way back. I can't vacation like that. I guess I'm a little bit too OCD or whatever, but I need to know where I'm going. I want to have a destination. Abraham walked in a tremendous degree of faith because he didn't know where he was going, but he just knew he'd met a God who called him to come follow him. And, and there's a whole lot of that that we can relate to in following Jesus because we, we really don't know all the fine print or the details of the circumstances that we're going to face on a daily basis. But we know that if we'll follow him, he will be everything that we need. Somebody say amen. Abraham 75, God calls him. Abraham believes. The Bible says it's counted to him as righteous. So he's been justified by faith alone. Not by his works, but by faith alone. Okay, so God makes Abraham and Sarah together. That unity, that marriage, that relationship, these two people, husband and wife, Abraham and Sarah, God made them a promise specifically in you, he says, I'm going to make all the families of the earth be blessed. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you and I'll make you a blessing. He says, by the way, I'll bless everybody who blesses you and I'll curse everybody who curses you. How many of you know when you can get up and walk out your door in the morning knowing that God's behind you with all of that, you can take on the world and do anything God's called you to do? Come on, somebody. So you know that you've been equipped and you've got God on your side. It doesn't matter whether your current employer necessarily sees that or your employees see that or family members understand that, you and God are a majority. Somebody say amen. 
Now, 10 years passes and a little impatience gets into both Abe and Sarah. By this time, God's renamed Abram, Abraham, and Sarah, Sarai to Sarah, and he adds an ah to one of their names and a ha to the other. Everybody say, aha. Now, that's going to be important in a moment, so just stay with Everybody say it one more time. Say, aha. Okay. So God begins to call Abram, uh, Abraham. Abraham goes down to the local bar, to the watering hole where he meets his buddies, and he says, hey, boys, don't call me Abram anymore. Call me Abraham. And they're snickering. They're going, well, Abraham means father of many nations. How many kids do you have, Abe? You know, can you imagine the folks that will make fun of you and persecute you when you begin to stand in faith based on a promise that God has made to you? And so Abraham steps out by faith alone. His name is changed. Sarah's name is changed, which becomes the meaning of princess. She's a picture of the grace of God. And ten years into it, they're a little frustrated. They're not seeing the promise that God made to them come to pass. And so Sarah gets a good idea. Now, there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. And in her impatience, she comes up with a good idea, which is actually a bad idea. Because she says to Abraham, I'm too old. I don't have the strength in my womb to conceive seed, even if you were able to do your part. And let's just think about this. We've got two elderly folks, and this is the day before medical assistance before there were little blue pills, forgive me, I don't want to be too plain or crass, but this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with old people who don't have the ability that she's past childbearing age, he's, he's past the age of being able to enjoy virility as, as a man, and so basically God says, I'm going to give you a promise, but what you don't know, they're 10 years into it, it's going to take 25, because God's going to wait until they're almost dead Matter of fact, Romans 4, Paul says their bodies were as good as dead, but, but Abraham trusted that God was able to do what he had promised, what he said he would do, he could do. And so Abraham wouldn't give up, and Sarah, I guess, was just sort of flinching in her faith a little bit, and she says, I've got an idea. I've got this Egyptian bondmaid named Hagar. Why don't you take her and make her your wife? She's younger, and if you can do your part then maybe we can have this son that God promised us. And, and, and this is what I want you to see this morning. The impatience brought about what she thought was a good idea, but it became a bad idea. Because as the Bible says, it was a human attempt to bring fulfillment to God's promise. And how many of you know when you're impatient and you don't wait on the timing of the Lord and you try to do something in your own strength, in your own ingenuity... You're going to do a little bit of a creative financing kind of situation to straighten out your financial picture and you get hocked up even that much more above your eyeballs. Uh, or you decided you're going to just do something entirely creative and under the table and maybe a little unethical but not quite illegal and just pray that you don't get caught. I mean, you know, all of these attempts in our own strength and our own ingenuity we think are good ideas, but they're really very bad ideas. Somebody say amen. So... Sarah suggests that Abraham take Hagar and she, she actually gets pregnant. Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah gets jealous. Abraham gets proud. He starts strutting around the camp going, I'm still the man. I still got it going on. Chicka wow wow. <laughs> and so he tries to build a compromise between an older wife who is now jealous and a young bond slave who is now proud and she starts to show and she, 
has a baby and Ishmael is born. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis that he will be a wild ass of a man. If you'd read your Bibles, you'd find out that it's not so prim and proper as the way we think it is a lot of times. But it actually says that Ishmael will be a wild ass of a man. And Ishmael speaks of the flesh, everything that we do in our own strength, our own sweat, and the old nature. It's not the promise of God, but it's done out of works and out of effort and out of legalism. Somebody say amen. So she gets pregnant, and you know God basically just kind of winks at it, lets them go ahead and have this child. And you know the only thing is, when you birth something outside of the will of God, you're going to have to feed it. And you're going to have to discipline the wild ass that's growing up in your house. Whether it's a business idea or a bad relationship any of those things you try to do in your own strength, your own ingenuity, God says, okay, I'm going to give you room. Let you just show what the mess you're going to make with this thing because I want to show you how much greater the promise is going to be when I do bring it. So God waits 13 more years. Abraham is 99 years old. Uh, uh, Sarah is 89, 10 years Abraham's junior. And God shows up and visits them and says, you remember that promise that I gave you 24 years ago? Well, about this time next year, I'm going to visit you again and you're going to have a son. And when you have that son, I want you to name him Laughter. Everybody, here we go. Say, aha. What, 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 what they didn't know is that when God changed their names, he put the seed into each of their souls, their spirits, to birth a son that would give them <laughs> laughter in their house. Ah, in Sarah, and ha, in Abraham. From Abram to Abraham. So when God calls you by a new name, he's breathing life into you in a creative kind of way to give you a vision for a promise that you can't do in your own strength. Some of you say, God is so waiting too long on this. I'm going to tell you, he may wait a long time, but when he does show up, his timing is perfect and right on time. Come on, somebody. And so when Isaac is finally born, they both had to say, look, our bodies were dead. This had to be a miracle of God. Now, uh, Sarah didn't conceive Isaac with an immaculate conception. God touched Abraham and God touched Sarah and they received strength and they had a renewal in, in their, their marriage bedroom that the Holy Ghost participated and brought them into a place where they could bring the seed of God into the world as the promise of God. So, so don't tell me that God can't revive and God can't heal and God can't touch your life in every kind of way that you need Him to. Somebody, come on, say amen. And so 103, 100 years old, Isaac is born. His name means laughter. At 103, all these little Hebrew babies now that are going to be called Hebrews after Abraham's commitment to God, it's kind of where this whole thing comes in later on, they're weaning their children by some, somewhere between two and three years old. At his third birthday, they throw, they throw a weaning feast. It's a, it's a party where they've weaned the child and they're celebrating. And the only problem is... Ishmael now is about 17 years old. Isaac is three, and Ishmael mocks Isaac. And how many of you know the flesh will always mock the spirit? And a child of the flesh, born from legalism, from a, from a bondmaid, a, a slave, is always going to mock the work of the Holy Spirit and the promised seed. Ishmael will always mock Isaac. And I'm preaching on three levels now. I don't know if any of you have the ears to hear that. But, but I want you to see where I've got the substantiation to do this as we read on. Let's get the spiritual truths here. Second point. Galatians chapter 4. Are you getting anything out of this? Galatians 4, 24 through 29. Look at this. 
One more time. Look at your neighbor and say, who's your mama? Okay, so Paul explains. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants, the old and the new. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai. How many of you know what Mount Sinai is? Where the Decalogue, where Moses came down off the mountain and gave the law of God. Everybody say the law. Okay, so Hagar represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. Next. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. So he's talking about at that time, go back 2,000 years, this is being written probably in the late 40s, 50s A.D., okay, And so he's writing to the churches in response to the missionary journeys that he's had. And he's telling them everything in that day, that modern day Israel, in that modern day Jerusalem, is likened to to Mount Sinai. It's all under legalism. It's in bondage. It's enslaved. Okay, do you see the correlation he's making here? He says, but the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. One more time, say, who's your mama? So Paul is writing to Christians that now in these Galatian churches are made up of Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 2, he says, the cross tore down the middle wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile so that they would become one body by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now this is the reason that I don't embrace all of the date setting and the rapture prediction stuff that so many of the TV preachers lay out there because it's based on the system of dispensationalism which attempts to rebuild that wall between Jew and Gentile. And it looks at you as a Christian and calls you a Gentile Christian which is an affront to the cross of Christ because the word Gentile means heathen. And I want you to see this morning, now because of the blood of Jesus... We learned in Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. Now, as a Christian, you're not a Gentile anymore. You are a spiritual Jew. Do you follow me? We are spiritual Israel. That's why I call this the covenant and your rightful place. Understanding who you are in this new covenant. Okay, Not only are you justified, you've been acquitted because of the blood of Jesus... But now you're an heir. You've been made an heir and you have an inheritance in Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. So this is what I want you to see. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. That's the answer to the question, who's your mama? Okay, one more verse. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman. Now that's Sarah. She didn't have any babies. You who have never given birth, break into a joyful shout. You who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. So Paul is taking all of these Old Testament scriptures and he's showing the Galatian churches that now in Christ that you're a descendant of Sarah, the free woman, and not a descendant of Hagar, the the, the woman of law, the Egyptian bond slave. Now, you know what? She birthed the son, but she's a slave. She's an Egyptian, and guess what? Her son Ishmael, the wild ass of a man, has an Egyptian heart. Because he's just like his mama. And he will be a man of the flesh. A man of sweat. A man of doing everything in his own strength. And how many of you know God is never pleased when we do it apart from him. When we are independent from him. Somebody say amen. Alright, so look at this. Uh, and it says, And you dear brothers and sisters are children of the promise just like Isaac. And so what he's saying is, 
If you look at the natural Jew, the natural Israel today, Paul is saying everything over there in natural Israel is like Hagar. It's under this legalistic system. He says, but you who are a child of promise, you can relate to Isaac. You were born not a fleshly effort, but because God had made a promise and God kept his promise. Except now we're not talking about your natural birth. We're talking about your new birth. Everybody say your rebirth. Come on. Spiritual rebirth is based on a promise. Okay. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Because flesh will always mock spirit. The, the law will always mock grace. Because it says if you'll do all of this, it's religion, it's good advice, it's self-help, it's self-improvement. But the gospel is different. The gospel of grace says, guess what? This is not advice. This is good news. The gospel is good news that Jesus is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he died for you so that you could be made righteous because of him. Somebody say amen. All right. All right. I have a little chart here that I want you to see quickly. Let me check my time. Are you getting anything out of this? So we've got a comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old, we see the law, Hagar, who is a slave. We see grace. Sarah is a picture of grace. She's the free woman. She is our mother. Okay. Ishmael is conceived after the flesh. Isaac is conceived miraculously. Paul, in this scripture that I just showed you, says earthly Jerusalem is in bondage, literally represented by these two covenants, by these two women, who's your mama as Hagar. Under legalism. But you are heavenly Jerusalem and you walk in freedom because of grace. As a matter of fact, I want you to see this morning that three times in the book of Genesis, God comes to Abraham and makes him a promise. He says the first time, I'm going to make your seed as the dust of the earth. The second time, he says, I'm going to make your seed as the sands of the sea. The third time, he says, I'm going to make your seed as the stars of the heavens. And I want you to see this morning that that's likened to the three seeds of Abraham. Ishmael, the dust of the earth, all of the Arabic peoples. Uh, Isaac, the natural birth, Jewish people, the sands of the sea. And then the church, spiritual Jerusalem, the stars of the heavens. Do you see that? As many as there are stars in heaven, I'm going to have a people that are heavenly, a heavenly seed, a heavenly Jerusalem, born not of flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of blood, but of the will of the Father. Somebody say amen. So you are spiritual Israel. You are a spiritual Jew. You have the right to be called an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Come on, you ought to be shouting and jumping up and down at that. I love this. Look at the difference in Isaac. He was born by God's power. You were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. He brought joy. Listen, when you've really been born again, your life will be filled with joy. You don't have to make up your mind to try to have joy. You've got joy because you have Jesus. Come on, somebody, say amen. He grew and he was weaned. How many of you know God didn't mean for you to stay a baby the rest of your life? Listen, if you go to a church that all they do is preach a warmed-over version of John 3.16 every Sunday and all they ever do is just, just keep pampers on the babies and the baby Christians, then I encourage you to find a place where you can get some real meat of the Word and some milk of the Word and some bread of the Word and you can begin to grow thereby. Somebody say amen. He was persecuted. How many of you know when you really step out in faith and trust God for what is everybody else says is impossible, people are going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you because they say, oh, well, God doesn't do any of that anymore. 
you know, that, that, was for, that was for yesterday. That was for 2,000 years ago. I don't, well, my granny prayed that way. Yeah, but God doesn't do that anymore. Well, you know what? If you don't ever believe it, if, until you believe that God can save you, you didn't get saved. Until you believe that God can heal you, you won't get healed. Until you believe that God wants to bless you and prosper what you put your hand to and work hard to advance His kingdom in your life and your relationships and your business, when you start to trust Him to do that, He will show up in your life and show out in your circumstances. I'm preaching way better than you're acting this morning. Hagar is Abraham's second wife. God didn't make her a promise. He made a promise to Abraham and Sarah. She was a slave. She was never meant to bear a child. She gave birth to a slave. Hagar was cast out. This is the sadness of the situation because Ishmael starts to make fun of the promised son and Sarah rises up and said, get her, the bondwoman, and her son out of the house. And the crazy thing is, is that in this patriarchal society, God spoke to Abraham and he said, do what your wife said do. Ladies, how many of you know, when you have the word of the Lord in your mouth, God will come on your side and help you out. Now, this isn't because you nag. See, you liked me until I said that part. <laughs> but you walk with God and you pray and you love your husband and you respect and honor and, and you walk together. It's not one over the other. It's side by side, walking together as co-heirs, joint heirs of eternal life. Somebody say amen. Hagar was never married again. Now, the practical blessings of this, and I'm finished this morning. Again, I'm going to ask you, have you got anything out of this? Because the scripture says this is an allegory. Paul said it himself. An allegory is a story with a deeper meaning. Now, I believe that there's specific times that we can look to the Old Testament and we can see symbolism. We can see the shadow that they had and now we have the substance. They had a type that pointed to something greater. We have that something greater in Jesus. Somebody say amen. I believe that you can take this concept and you, like you can with anything in the scripture, you can over-spiritualize everything and you can allegorize everything and there are some things that are meant to be taken literally. And as a Bible teacher, I believe in a literal translation of scripture. Now that doesn't mean a wooden literalism the way fundamentalists in the, the, the Bible about South do because you can take your literalism to an extreme on this side just like you can take allegorizing everything and over-spiritualizing everything on this side. And I think if when you read a promise of God or a scripture, if there is an opportunity for it to be literal, then take it as such. But there are clearly passages that have spiritual meaning and symbolic meaning and, and don't have a literal fulfillment in that kind of sense. Okay, And so we have to let scripture interpret scripture because if you don't, you can take the Bible and twist it and make it say anything you want to. So come on, somebody say amen. I'm trying to teach a little bit this morning. The practical blessings as we finish right here are this. Let's get two verses and we're done. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Verse 31, so dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. Everybody say Hagar. We're children of the free woman. Everybody say Sarah. Sarah's grace, Hagar's law. Now, I do not believe that Paul is talking about in, in getting rid of Israel are producing some kind of anti-Semitism. Uh, when we really look at how God changed from one covenant to the other, they were removed, but God says the hope is that they will be grafted back in. Now, God loves the world. The problem with dispensationalism is, is that they think that God loves the Jew more than he loves everybody else. 
What I want to tell you is that God has chosen people out of every kindred, race, tribe, and tongue. I'm looking at God's chosen people this morning, and that's you. Everybody say, that's me. Okay. In Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. And so now the hope of Israel, the Bible says in Romans 10, 11, and 12, those, I'm sorry, 9, 10, and 11, three chapters that are very critical about where, how Israel plays back into this. Matter of fact, Paul the Apostle says, my, my prayer for Israel is that they might come to know Jesus as Savior. So now to be part of the covenant people of God, the Israel of God, it's determined on how they treat this central filter. His name is Christ. Who you are with God is all determined in your relationship by Christ, Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the factor right there. And so we're praying. We, we, we want to evangelize. We want to reach out to anyone who is of the Jewish people because the promises of God were given to them. They didn't have the eyes to see them. And when he came, they loved Jesus as long as he was a prophecy, but when he actually showed up, they hated him because he didn't come the way they expected him to. And before we get judgmental toward Jewish people, you've got to realize that everybody in the room has prayed for something at one time or another, and God didn't show up when you thought he should, and he didn't show up how you thought he was going to. If, if I'm telling the truth, raise your hand and say amen. Come on. Everybody in the room has experienced that, where you think God's going to do it a certain way, and he, he just fools you, and he sneaks in a back door some way, and it's at a different time than you think it'll happen, and he shows up in a way that nobody can get glory except him. He waits until your body's as good as dead and you don't have the ability to do it in your own strength. That's good because that means God gets all the glory. All right, two, two little, a little another, another little contrast or a chart here I want you to see before we're finished. So modern day Israel, earthly Jerusalem is in bondage. It is barren legalism that will produce nothing. Okay, now before you get into a place of pride, you've got to realize that all over the Bible Belt South, there is this spirit of legalism. There's this idea that if you're really going to follow Jesus, you have to dress a certain way, you have to vote a certain way. Uh, if you're in an evangelical white church, you better vote Republican. If you're, go if you're going to be in an African-American spirit-filled church, you better vote Democrat. And all of these expectations are put on you politically and socially and the people you hang out with and what you better not do and what you better make sure you do as well. And all of these things in our local churches that become extra law or basically uh, legalistic expectations put on us. Okay, now you're, 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 you've trusted in Christ, but if you're going to stay in Christ, then you better do everything that we tell you to do. Be conformed to our view of circumcision, so to speak. Are you following me this morning? Listen, you came to God by faith alone. You walk with God by faith alone. And you will see it fulfilled and completed in your life by faith alone. Come on, somebody say amen. The church, heavenly Jerusalem, is a picture of freedom. It is fruitful grace. It produces something. It changes you. The law does not have the capacity or the ability or the empowering strength to help you do anything. All it can do is accuse you what you didn't do or what you should have done or what you did and you, sh you shouldn't have done. The law only accuses. It has no power to produce the image that it sets forth that you ought to be living according to that particular standard. But grace has the ability to change your life. Grace is not an excuse to stay in your sin. It's the power of God to get delivered from it. Come on, somebody. Hagar and Ishmael cannot live in the same house with Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Now, I'm not talking about nationality here. 
or any kind of anti-Semitism that is against the cross of Christ. God loves the whole world. He loves, he loves people, and the Jewish people are significant because all the covenants were revealed to them, and we need to remember that and honor that. But I also want to say, let's not come away thinking that you're a second-class citizen and quit calling yourself a Gentile Christian, because if anything, you're a spiritual Jew now. You're in the covenant. You're, you, we were far off from the household of God, strangers from the covenants of promise, but the Bible says you've been brought nigh, near now by the blood of Christ. So you're in the household of God. You're in the family. Look at your neighbor and say, we are family. I'm dating myself now. Was that Sister Sledge? Who was that? Yeah. Yeah. We can try to change them, but that's always failure because legalism and flesh has no ability to change. We can try to compromise with them. This is what the Galatian Christians were doing with the Judaizers. They, they, we, they were saying, don't, don't abandon Christ, but simply move into a deeper walk with Him by keeping the law as you follow Christ. Paul came against every bit of that, and he says, cast them out. Who are we casting out? We're not casting out Jerusalem or Israel or Jewish people. He's using this as an allegory. He's saying, cast out the spirit of legalism. Get legalism out of your house. Cast Hagar out of your house. Because Hagar will only produce Ishmael's. Men that have a wild-ass nature. When I say men, I mean humankind, ladies and gentlemen alike. When you try to curry favor with God by obeying and keeping the law, if you are able to keep a little bit of it, it makes you self-righteous and it makes you proud. And that's contrary to everything that is the cross of Christ. The old nature loves legalism. Look at my accomplishments. See my achievements. These were done in my own strength. Look at the pride that it's produced. That spirit in the local church will multiply like rabbits. And I need some folks who've been through a spiritual firearms class to lock and load and shoot them baby rabbits before they multiply all over the house. We have to cast out Hagar and Ishmael. I'm not talking about people. I'm not talking about groups. I'm not talking about ethnicities. I'm talking about a spirit of legalism and a spirit of the flesh. Come on, somebody. Victory Church, we labor hard to make it a culture of grace where it's not like, I just want to say it, I'm going to go ahead and say it, it's not like the typical fundamentalist Bible Belt Church where you go in and everybody is just kind of hidden behind a mask and won't actually confess their sins and get it real because once you drag something out of the closet into the light, then you can get healed, you can get well, you can begin to grow, you can get set free. But in so many churches, people are scared to death to do that because they know everybody that's sitting there would judge them and probably cast them out, kick them out, give them the left foot of fellowship. And there's nothing Christian about that. When people fall, we're to restore them in a spirit of restoration with a godly fear that we don't fall into the same temptation. But it's always about love. It's about reconciliation. It's about mercy. It's about grace. It's about speaking the truth in love. Come on, somebody. It's not, it's not love without truth. Love without truth is meaningless. Truth without love, though, is compassionless. Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, said, speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up in Christ. Have you gotten anything out of this message this morning? Ephesians 2, 7 through 9, and I'm finished. The Bible says that we've been raised up with Christ and made to seat, be seated with Him in heavenly places. That's verse 6 of Ephesians. He says that in the ages to come, He might show us the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not how good you were to an old person this week. It's not how fair you were to a different ethnicity this month. You should do all of those things. But you do those not to earn anything from God. You do those because you already have a relationship with the Father. You do it out of a natural love for God and for the people that He's made. You don't do it to try to twist God's arm and go, look at what I've done. Now you have to do this for me. That's a Gentile spirit if there ever was one. Tit for tat. Do unto others before they do unto you. No. What if the world actually just took the golden rule and just just said, okay, I'm going to treat everybody else as I want them to treat me? We would have peace on earth. It would be amazing. Nobody in here can brag. There's no boasting. The only boasting that we have the ability to make is in Jesus. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Father, laid on Jesus the Son, the iniquity of us all. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. This morning, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you're a new creation. It's not something that you earned or you deserve, but it's simply by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Lights are going down. I'd like you to bow your heads with me if you would please close your eyes.